When we think of domestic abuse, what usually comes to mind is a man abusing a woman. But in this episode, I'm here to help shed light on the fact that that's not always the case. My guest today, whom I'll refer to as John Doe, for the safety of himself and his child, because this is an ongoing case, has been through horrendous experience around domestic abuse, rape, and having his child taken away from him. And because of a broken system and misconceptions within the collective, he's continuing to struggle to gain custody of his child. Authorities still can't wrap their head around the fact that He's the one that has been abused. He's not the abuser. And he's had almost no support from any authoritative systems or organizations. His story takes place in a small town in Australia. And it's one we don't hear a ton of, but we'll start to hear more men feel safe to share their stories of domestic abuse. And we'll have to give a thanks to Johnny Depp for his worldwide sharing of his ordeal with domestic abuse. And John is here sharing his story to shed light on this subject that has been way too taboo for way too long and to provide hope for change in the way we talk to each other and ourselves surrounding domestic abuse. I'm your host, Carrie Arata, Akashic Records reader, psychic sleuth, and spiritual guide. And this is The Infinite Dance, the Akashic Podcast. So in this episode, I want to give a big trigger warning surrounding rape, child neglect, child abuse, domestic abuse, broken systems, and a parent keeping a child from another parent. Not very known subject, but it's something that needs to be discussed more. It is female on male rape. And John is here to share his story about that. And 
when, where would you like to start with your story? I can just give you a brief, very brief background about what led to it. So I met this woman um, just, I guess, nine to 10 months before this happened. Um, started going out. I was really into her. She expressed and showed that she was as well into me and we uh, got married um, about a few weeks before the first time this this happened um, later found out that her whole purpose to get married was to get a child out of me and then to just ditch me as, as soon as she's pregnant, which is exactly what happened. Um, but the marriage part is to you understand why that's, that's a bit weird in this situation because, and has a context as because, um, Again, not saying this this is the tenet of this religion, but this is what her sick understanding was <coughs> to basically treat it as a buffet, um, pick and choose sort of a thing. So she, her mother was a minister of a church and she was into this idea that didn't want to have a child out of wedlock because it was more to do with, it was basically to do with um, what will people say sort of a thing. Um, instead of actual, uh, this is wrong as per my religious beliefs. Um, yeah, because for, for instance, um, uh, <laughs> a true Christian would not do what she did to me or the child which I'll tell you about as well. Right. So it first happened right after you were married. Yeah, yeah. Only weeks, weeks into my official marriage. That um, she was sexually assaulting you. That she did the first time. This happened twice. So that time, and then about a month later, one more time. Um, and did you see any, did she show signs of this before you were married or while you were dating? No, not this kind. There was, there was, well, we rarely had um, sex before because she was concerned about um, accidentally getting pregnant. Uh, although we were using protection, but that was a concern. So I was like, okay, we can, we can 
go easy on this side of things. So it was it wasn't really happening much um, prior to well even after the wedding it's not like it happened many times but just it happened we had sex all up three times after after um after we got married and yeah the first two times were rapes the third time i still struggle to understand why she did not rape me like i don't find any logical coherence in that pattern but yeah i don't know so it was always aggressive from her it was always an aggression uh, after getting married the first two times were aggressive the third time not that time um yeah i'm so sorry that must have just been so confusing very very confusing yeah because the first time it was the first out of the two rapes it was relatively i can, i can say relatively less aggressive in uh, at the start um she when when i was displaying signs of not being into it uh, i was resisting and then she um sorry i'm going to state some things which might sound gross but it's important i think um so she did the following which is to prostate my to massage my prostate i was going to say prostate my massage <laughs> sorry sorry um yeah so apparently that's that's one of the ways through which one can um how do i put it um simulate um or even like make a guy uh, become erect and even uh, eventually even uh, ejaculate even if he is mentally resisting like even if he's not into it it is possible to uh induce this physical reaction yeah and how frustrating too to have yeah. that and that somebody would take advantage of that and not just anybody you know the one the one person who decided to trust for the rest of your life with this kind of intimacy right not not this kind as in rape kind but like with sexual intimacy right right um yeah like i i i understand all those women who go through marital rape or or rape in a relationship like perpetrated by the partner 
boyfriend or husband or whatever. Um, that's, yeah, it's, it's probably the most helpless of all rapes, I guess, because you least expected it, you know? Right, right. With somebody you trust. Yeah. And there are still cultures for women uh, who would still not even consider the possibility of marital rape. As in that if something like that happened within a marriage, they would just dismiss it saying, well, they're married though. You know, yeah. there's such ignorance there. But that's, the, that's for a woman. Now, for a guy, this is a whole other level. Yeah. Uh, regardless of which culture we're from, it's across the board, ignorance or even indifference. Ignorance um, or indifference. Yeah. There are, it was, it was a struggle to even find studies. There was a recent one. Recently, I found a study from UK. Um, which is sort of trying to look into how what how this happened, what goes into it, how prevalent it is. It, it, but it's so nascent. Um, it's probably going to take a while before they understand the gravity of it. But then again, like the numbers, if they say if they claim that these are the numbers we have, it's still going to be a wrong one because um, men in general are. Socially designed to not report being abused by a woman. It's sort of there's a social stigma. Like I was when I eventually, uh, several months later, I did understand what happened to me when it did. When when the trauma set in and found that this was an abhorrent act, uh, when I re did report it, uh, the authorities. Um, all the way from police to domestic violence support services, you know, social services, uh, etc. They all um, turned me away, and it ranged from being chuckled at to um, not even letting me speak about what 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 happened. It, um, there were, the, in fact, there were some which as they must have had a script or something, which really upset me at the time. And I told them that. So uh, when I call them, this is like a domestic violence support call uh, line. Wow. And yeah, and and I, when I call them, as soon as they heard my voice, which I guess sounds like a male voice, I'm a man. Um, their first question is, uh, do, are you calling to uh, something on the lines of behavior management, how to, to manage your behavior, to help for us to help you manage your behavior? I'm like what, 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 is, what are you talking about? Like, oh, aren't you a man? Uh, I said, yeah, so, so, the, that that's the purpose of this time for men 
for us to help them manage their behavior, right? I thought this was a line where where um, victims of domestic abuse can call and seek some sort of support. Uh, they said yes, and I said I didn't find anywhere that this is like a, like a women's only um, um, group. Like there are some such groups like that, and that's fine. Um, I don't mind. That's for them. But at least the ones who advertise that it is gender neutral should act that way as well. Right. But they're not. Oh. Um, so when so I just said. This is very like upset. It's like rubbing salt on the wounds, you know? Yeah. You're calling a support um, line. You should get support for what something you're trying yeah. to process that happened to you. Exactly. And there was another one which starts off saying, are, are you a perpetrator or a victim of abuse before like just hello, I guess. Um, and that's when, like when I said, I don't like the word victim, but I guess for their binary context, right? I did snow and like, oh, but you're a guy. I'm like, yeah, we can help you, you know, fix your behavior. I, wow, again, <laughs> or you could have just, you know, wow, it's, I didn't know what to do, what to say. Everyone was turning me away. So sorry to like go on a bit of a tangent, but no. this, this is a common thing that they will encounter after, even after they um, you know, muster enough gumption to actually first understand what happened and then try to report it. So this is the wall that we their face will hit more often than not i would say fairly confidently always i i haven't heard of a man being helped out who was raped by a woman i'd never heard of such a it's like there's this collective like veil or cap over everybody's eyes to a story like what happened to you, um, that, oh, we don't even know how to go there. We don't even have, know how to initiate the conversation, the sympathy, the, you know, how am I going to give this person some support through a traumatic time in their life, which is so like, needed. Although I, I hate violence, like I even, I'm sort of like a Gandhian. I don't, I don't follow anyone or anything 100% because that's sort of cultish. Right. <laughs> that no cult, please. Being... <laughs> yeah, so I, I think, gross. I don't know. I, I haven't known this in details about this ex-partner of mine, um, about like the details of everything that happened throughout her childhood and uh, adolescence and you know, youth and 20s, things like that. I know like, bits about it that she has shared and what her father has later shared with me because he's he's sympathetic to what is happening to me. So, um, but I know, I'm, I'm speculating this because it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility that it could have started at a very young age 
because um, there are uh, lots of cases that are now coming up because now I guess parents of boys, young boys are speaking up because you know, there's this old thing like do not hit a girl. That's what we grew up with um, being yeah. taught. So for multiple reasons that like you should respect the woman. You always hear you should respect the woman like, like they're exclusively more respect worthy, you know? <laughs> um, I, I, which I think is absurd for any gender, like it, it, it has to be earned. I mean, sure, there's what as a default you should get is basic decency, like basic politeness, but respect is, is not, it's not just a given, you know, um, for any gender. But when it's like, you hit that nail again and again, so hard for years, for generations, uh, you know, do not hit a woman, respect a woman. And I mean, it's taught for a girl as well. So do not hit a girl, that sort of the thing. Um, it's so ingrained that we, we've sort of, I forget this animal I recently heard. I meant by that was that, yeah, that control thing starts at a young age. Um, I'm sure boys do that too, but I was just referring to this, this aspect about well, there's no such thing as, oh, you don't hit a boy. Like if a boy is a bully, there's there's generally just the general perception that you know, smack him or report him. And the people will usually get, kids will usually get, the bullied kids will usually get something out of it. Like they'll, they'll get some justice. They'll get somewhere with it. With, with a girl bully, the girl abuser at school, the boys stand no chance. And there's just this thing going around. It's just like, it's a very misandrist approach to gender relations these days. Um, not these days, it's been for quite it's a few forever. years now. But we've kind of, again, looked the other way, right? Yeah. And got back into that zombie mode. Because you're right, I believe there has been a bit of a zombie aspect to humanity for quite a while. You know, just kind of going along with things that we what, think what, are supposed what, to happen. But like, like activists and social workers and in most feminists, they they oppose even this idea of men having this potential to be abused. I, I think they, they think of this as a zero sum game, which is like very a dangerous. A what? Like a zero, like a zero sum game. Okay. That uh, if if women can be abused, men, you have to uh, and uh, um, go by this assumption that men can't be abused. You know, this is only we are abused. You are the abusers, and we can never be the abusers. You're always the abuse. It's like that zero sum game. Like no, it's one or the other, black and white. While the reality is usually never black and white like that. You no. Know? No. <laughs> um, at least, at least, uh, it can be in like certain um, uh, micro instances, but in such macro, like large scale population wide patterns, it's it's. I don't think it's black and white. No, it's absolutely not. And yeah. so, after the rapes happened, yeah. the woman in question became pregnant. Yeah. 
soon soon after. I think from I think Did from she what start I to push about. you away right away when she became pregnant. Yes, I, I think it was the I just calculated because when we find out found out about pregnancy, the the time that the doctor said had uh, how far along she was, I I could guess that it was the first time the first um, time she raped me that when when my child was conceived. Um, so yeah, so at that time. We were overseas at my, in my, where I come from. Um, and I guess she might have felt, oh, I don't want to reveal my cards yet too early, too much, because now, uh, because I'm not in my comfort zone yet. So I think she held back on certain things, but her behavior of control and uh, just, I don't care sort of uh, thing she, that already started. Like she would she'd try to control who I share this news with about, about you know, the pregnancy. Um, like I can't share it with my, these friends. It just happened to be that I have a lot of good, great friends. Um, yeah. She had none in her own words. That's what I like right there, don't you think? Yeah, but I felt like, again, this this is like, you know, when you love someone, you're trying to think everything. Right, think the best. The right way for, for them. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I wasn't coming from a place of, haha, you don't have friends. I was coming from a place of, oh. you know, I'm sorry, this is what is happening. This has what's been for you. But I would, I would like, I would like you, I would like to help you to sort of, Re reignite old friendships if you haven't worked on it, yeah. uh, or or find new ones. You know, like uh, that's what I want for you. Sure. But yeah, you're right. Like in, in hindsight, there's there's a million red flag million now, things. right? Hindsight, that's a big red flag. <laughs> I was stupid, time, I guess. No, you're not stupid. I I really believe we want the best for everybody, and to see everybody's best side. And if you are falling yeah. for somebody or have married them, of course you're like, oh yeah, you have come hang out with my friends. Or yeah, like I'll give you another important example in this. So so she's white um from both sides. I'm not. I'm no part white, I'd say. Um no part white. I like that. No part. <laughs> <laughs> um so just prior to uh, wedding, um, her father and his wife was not her mother. Her, uh, her mother and her father separated when she was I think, three years old or something. And again, her mother was pregnant with her little sister in her belly. So this is sort of a repeat, and there's a lot of repeats you'll 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 hear about this intergenerationally. So just prior to the wedding, um, her father was very keen on having me and my folks over at to his place, and again, like I have the 
benefit of hindsight now as to why she was doing this. She did because her father is a very honest man. He would have shared. He would have probably assumed that she would have shared the certain uglies about their family with me. So he would have just probably started talking about it in a natural flow of conversation. Um, but there was there was a deliberate effort, there was a deliberate effort on her part to not let those uglies be revealed before her purpose of getting the child out of me it's, it was fulfilled. So she said something really um, intense. So she said, "I don't think you sh you your parents should go there." Um, my father and his wife are a bit racist and things like that. And they are furthest from that. But, but at the time, she hadn't let me see. I had only seen him very few times by the, until then. And always with her there, you know? So she's like monitoring and overseeing and controlling the conversation, which like, I'm obviously saying in, in hindsight. In retrospect, it was realized, but... Yeah, but this was patently false because they're nothing like that. They're the loveliest people. No, um, it was, yeah, it was her way to keep certain things under the under wraps, you know. Um, yeah. And I, what, what I was getting to was, again, as someone, I loved her, so who was I going to believe? Like, oh, obviously she's trying to, I guess, protect us from, from, I guess, some racist behavior. You know, that's that, that's what I was thinking. Right. Um, obviously, I wanted to trust her instead of the man who I barely met. You know. Right. Right. But once she was pregnant and trying to control who you told. When did, because yeah. she started to pull away though, right? And did you separate before she actually gave birth? Yeah, yeah, long before. So when we, we were only overseas for a few weeks. So we came back pretty soon and that's, it, it started basically almost immediately. So we had a first ultrasound on which I don't know, should I go again off track? Um, so there's another about the surname thing. Um, so she had been married before, she had told me that. She had been, for a few years, she had been a Muslim before. She had told me that uh, prior as well. So, but those things to me are not like deal breakers, you know, like, yeah, you, you could have been married before, you had whatever religion you had and them. <laughs> um, right. I'm not religious, but you know, each to their own, as long as they're not hurting anybody. Um, and you can go through your phases of, oh, I was a Christian, then I was a Muslim, and now a Christian. Like, yeah, then that's your that's your right to yeah. follow whatever. Right. So that's where I was coming from. So those weren't red flags per se. But again, like the actual red flag was revealed deliberately so uh, a bit too late after the, the pregnancy so um she did had she kept... you to leave did she ask you to leave or did you decide to leave 
No, so on the last day, like on the day of separation, um, I was just like desperately trying to do things. Like she was pregnant. I broke my back to, like I had been injured at work. I was I was working a, in a physical, like laborious job at the time. And I got injured um, multiple times and I was really hurting bad. And, and we were just laying on a mattress for quite a while. Um, and it, it was probably fine before we were just being lazy, but I didn't want her to be, uh, because then after a certain, so many weeks of pregnancy, it would start getting difficult to get up from like low-lying mattress. I even like got her bed and like, I was doing all these things on that day of separation earlier that day, I took her to the city, she, to the part of the city where she used to fondly talk about and she used to go eat there and shop there. So I took her there, got all these things done for her. And then she was just still cold and gnawing at me um, all, all, all day. And then I, uh, yeah, in, in, a, in, a, in a moment I, of, and I just felt like she wouldn't let me. I just knelt down on, well, knelt down and um, put my arms around her waist and wanted, I just tried to kiss her belly but that's that's where my baby was and she just reacted as if uh, I was being a pervert or something she's like this is creepy and it's so it it got escalated and escalated. I don't know if she was deliberately like doing this calculate in a calculated way or not, but it was it was but yeah, but the ultimate goal was premeditated to basically find some reason to walk away. So everything um, normal that a couple would do in that situation, she would find a way to say it was weird or creepy or incorrect. And leading up to that, there were a couple of revelations which were designed very strategically to make me leave. They were so bad that I guess a non-stupid person would have been like, yeah, I'll leave. I don't know. Um, so the first instance was, this is before the separation. The first instance was, she said she actually never had feelings for me. In fact, she had for one of her ex-boyfriends. Um, and it was, yeah, designed to make me so mad that I'd be like, F this, I'm out, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like automatically out of her way, which is what she wanted. Like she, she doesn't have to make me per se. It's just saying things. Um, I don't know if they're true or not, but certainly about her feelings for lack of feelings for me. Uh, yeah, that's certainly true. I had felt that it was confirmed later. So the second um, thing was, uh, which, uh, was a much more severe revelation. And it's not just 
just something she said to upset me uh, because it's it's been confirmed by others to be true that the person she was married to um, had joined a UN recognized terrorist organization and that she had married him with that knowledge at that time she was a Muslim. So she had already converted to Islam prior to uh, marrying him of her volition. And then she decided to marry um, yeah, a guy who was a terrorist. Wow. And so that was the part which she kept on. So that's the strategic fraud, I would say. Like she had kept his surname. This was another weird part. So she had kept his surname 10 years past their divorce and into our marriage. And I had I had told her that I, I'm not comfortable with this. Like I had no thing about you have to take up my surname, things like that. Like you, you can have your maiden name. She wanted to write, she wanted to have a pen name. I was like, you can take that up. I don't mind. But I think it's very insensitive to have your ex-husband's surname take take it well into your your new marriage. And we had kept it. I I I I was accommodating. She's like, yeah, I was just doing it for because I was lazy. I didn't I didn't I, I didn't change it because I was lazy. And um, can can I change it after we get married so that you know, I can use the marriage certificate, it'd be cheaper to, I don't know, I, I didn't like investigate her claims, but because I loved her and trusted her at that time, so I was like, fine, you know, whatever's convenient, whatever's not going to cost you too much, things like that, I don't mind, obviously. Um, so I tolerated that, so I think she changed her surname in a couple of documents, but she still had it on her, uh, like, a medical ID card, when you go to doctors, social socialized healthcare here. So, um, so when we went for the first ultrasound, that first image of my baby had that surname still on it, had the name of a bloody terrorist on it. And so, what another slap, another yeah. slap to you in this whole scenario? I mean, it's like the you just keep getting like walking into a, like a shovel and the, you know, pole comes up and hits you like every turn. Yeah. With all and this it. was prior to separation. And I'm still struggling to analyze the validity of my actions as in if they were right or wrong, it, they felt right at the time. So the reason why I was putting up with her especially after her pregnancy was because also on the day of separation as well, she outright said, um, I'm not going to let you be, let you be any close to, to this child. So I felt like my world slip away, but again, uh, like instinctively as a father, I was putting his best interest. We didn't know about his gender then, but I'm saying now, that I know um, about his best interests because I think each child deserves 
um, a happy mom and dad together family. And the situation she was orchestrating in a premeditated way was such that that would deprive him of such a life from day one or minus day something in fact um and i wanted to do everything i could to stop to to stop that so i would put up with everything she would say i would tolerate and i would yeah even she would like manipulate by using threats of violence. She would threaten that she would commit suicide and kill the child thusly. Um, yeah. That's a lot. Just, That's a lot to be around. And even post separation, she was doing that. So like, yeah. you, you do things my way or I'll do this sort of a thing. And it's like, you don't expect somebody you love to be that terrible. So it's like every yeah, time. Yeah, but now I, now I was in this like damage control protection mode. I was I was wow. desperately trying everything to prevent her from hurting herself because her hurting herself would directly impact the child. Like, to be honest, I had very little regard for her at this point, understandably so, but her well-being was directly linked to this child's well-being. And although this child was in the product of um, consent or consensual love, you know, or no love actually, sorry. Um, it's not his fault though. No. Like I don't, I don't, I can't blame him for that he's a child he didn't do it is he didn't no. cause this no yeah. no and you're just doing your best yeah. so then let's so after your son is born things continue on this path of manipulation and abuse yeah. I even saw at one of the ultrasounds that she did allow me to go to about the, I think it was the gender reveal ultrasound. It was uh, when when the radiologist revealed there was a boy. So you know how they they had they they have to be very like legal about it, so they have to say ninety nine point nine nine percent. It's because not until a child is born can they medically and legal legal medical claim <laughs> that it's right. this or that. Uh, so, but when they say it's 99%, it means they just tell you that that's what it is. Um, and when he declared it was a boy, she was visibly upset, uh. like frowning. Wow. Me and my mother, we saw that. I'm like this, this person has some. Obviously, I had already experienced that. She had issues the way she treated me and my folks, even. But when, when a so-called mother is has such an attitude uh, towards her own child, it's 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 a 
a mother or a father, don't get me wrong. Like even if a father has that kind of attitude towards a child, that's a different level of sickness, which I don't, which I absolutely condemn. It's very sick. It's very awful. I'm so sorry you had to experience that, you know, this time of joy, right? There could be some joy in this. And so now that, now that, um, way so when he was born despite me asking multiple times and accommodating her that because uh, I wanted to be there when he was being born but she was like well it's uh we're not together anymore it's uncomfortable it's weird I'm like okay I, I, I don't have to be inside me and my parents we can be outside in the waiting area which is technically a public area. So I, we don't need her permission, but how can we be there when we're not um, told that she's going in labor, right? Yeah. So that's all I asked her, like, okay, like I understand that you would be in so much pain. So at least whoever's taking you, your mom was, whoever's taking you to the hospital, at least ask them to text me say, saying, you know, you're going in labor. So we can come there and just be there. Because even something simple and I guess cliched, small as the doctor coming out and saying, oh, you have a healthy boy. Um, uh, First time parents, I think even if I had like 10 kids before, my 11th child, I'd still be, you know. You want to be involved. Yeah, and keen. Nothing wrong with that. yeah and she ultimately did deprive me of that so i wasn't told about his birth until the day after Uh, yeah and the thing i should then tell you about when so i saw him a couple of times at the hospital and then after then she went to her where she was living with her mom and I saw him twice there. And the second time out of that, so that makes all up four times. And that's all up number of times I've seen him as of this minute. And how old is he today? He's just over two and a half. Okay. And he was two weeks old at that time when I last saw him. And the day I last saw him, he was being put through some terrible form of physical abuse, deliberate, so not neglect, but deliberate malnutrition. He would have been, so from what we saw, and I always had my folks there, um, in hindsight, gladly as as witnesses um, and also obviously as their desire to see their grandchild the first and only um, she the his health symptoms 
were later confirmed by a doctor as well as um, the National Breastfeeding Association um, that this would have been caused due to dehydration. And, you know, mind you, at that time, two weeks old, his, his exclusive consumption is fluids. Right. Um, so dehydration, would he's just not fed. And I said, how long, uh, uh, how long of not being fed would, would cause this? And they said about three days. So this was a two-week-old child who was deliberately not fed for three days. And the doctor said this would, if he's not checked urgently, this would lead to cardiac arrest, organ failures. Because unlike us getting dehydrated, we can sort of like lay down and have a lemonade and we can recover fairly easily. Um, babies that young would, would collapse. Um, and that wasn't just uh -huh. his health that he had caused until then. But even during that, I even hate calling it a visit. You know, a parent is not a bloody visitor. Right. But even normal discourse here in, in courts and everywhere, they, they they call it that. It's it's so insulting. Visit right. like anyway. But yeah, during that session, um, I so and. At this point, she had said that he is quite a calm boy and he only cries if he needs food or, or, or a nappy change, like if he's dirty nappy. And I had just changed his nappy. That's where how I found about his ill health through that to dry feces, which were not, which didn't have any runniness along with it, which is how the doctor confirmed that. And, and just in case I checked again, it was still clean. So I asked her, do you think he's hungry? And she said, yes. I said, okay, take him, um, you know, you can feed him. And she kept giving a couple of reasons. First was like, oh, you still have around um, 25 something minutes left in your in your uh, session, in your visit time. And it's so absurd. I, I said, that doesn't matter, you know, like that's not the priority, but the priority is his health. So yeah. he's hungry. Thank Can't you, man. Just go feed and him. It's a large house, by the way. So then she was talking about, oh, she's not comfortable with us around. And like, Look, if you want to feed him in this lounge area, I'm ha we're happy to go in another room where you're out of sight, out of sound. No, you know, we can't hear you. But she had her room, her own room too. So, but we were wa wanting to accommodate her in any which way, but she would not budge. And that was it. That was the last thing she spoke. She did not even look at him for the next 20 odd minutes when he hysterically kept, kept crying. Oh. I've never seen a father or a mother do that. Never. Right. 
every father, mother I've talked to, they said every time, like talking about their child when they had a little child, that it's seconds when they hear, when they even doubt, they speculate that there is some squeaky screaming going on from their child, rooms away, they run, they bolt. That's how, the, that's the kind of people I've always seen. I think what normal people are like. And this is, a, and her mother was present there too, as were my parents. So both these women were looking, were just sitting there, not even looking at him, not even taking a glance. I found that impossible. And for the next 20 odd minutes, me and my mother kept trying to calm him down. We kept taking turns to calm him down. And we were trying to like put him on our chest, you know, so that's how we might feel calm. Um, and he was making those fish out of water kind of mouth, face. Like just give me some like he was, Yeah, like he was trying to reach out for the source of feed. Yeah. And that was on my chest too. He was so desperate that he was doing that on a male chest. Right. You like know? just come on anything. Oh. This this is what this is what you're dealing with. This is what you've dealt with. This awful excuse for a human who is tortured you and not torturing this young child. Yeah, and the beauty of the system is that for me trying to do the right thing and through the right channels, mind you, you know, going to the police, going to child protection services, reporting as anyone should, I get penalized for that. Right, so you got a restraining order against you for wanting to so help your child. Family. Yes, for what? because apparently reporting child abuse is harassment wow. to the perpetrator. Wow. You see, the, coming back to this full circle thing about when you're a female, when you're a perpetrator, you can still flip it around to make it seem like you're the victim. Yeah. How is, <laughs> with all these different avenues, I mean, there's like so many that it's still not seen as abuse that needs to have consequences to it. Yeah, and the police for several days. So the other thing that the doctor said was he has to be checked up by a medical professional urgently. Otherwise, well, A, if she continues to do this, he could die. Yeah. If she knows what she's doing of how to revive him, if she's given about two, three days, she could, in, in his words, she could revive him to a passable state. A passable, like it, it can pass as a okay enough child. Um, so that's why I was desperately trying for someone to, and no one, like I went through, through a lawyer, through police, uh, the, the the domestic like child abuse side of uh, police uh, the hospital he was born at the um, like um, everything you could think of 
protection services, everything, you know, and no one mentioned, I was like, who, how can I get a medical professional to check on him? Because the doctor was like, I, I can't unless she allows it, which sounds like such a conflict of interest, right? It's like, right. just imagine a guy, the abuser. people, I'm saying this not because guys are just, you know, always the perpetrators, clearly not, but right. because I guess people relate to this happening perpetrated by a guy a lot. So imagine if a guy was in custody, was in charge of this a child and uh, as a guardian, father, whatever, and he's raping this child on and off and the law requires his consent to check on the child, that's like a bloody conflict of interest. Right. Why would he allow you to check on right. the child? That's mad. That's yes. mad. Like, oh my goodness. Okay. So yeah, if there is any support that you have found, besides the authorities, which you've had none in any department, Mm. medical you know protective services there's been no support yeah. right none no not not only lack of support there in fact with with the police and the nurse clinic they actually have found to have colluded with the perpetrator to cover up the abuse of the child they covered so, it up yeah, and that's how child protection services um, closed the loop of their so-called investigation by going by um, the uh, input from the police and the nurse clinic, which were both found to be um, extremely, um, yeah, like against their own protocols. Just because it's the female so, on male rape and abuse. I think this might be more than that. So that, there's that bias, of course. But um, so this was a small country town, and it's predominantly white. It has a. It doesn't have that kind of an exposure or uh, the global outlook that that i'm obviously generalizing um that generally people in cities tend to have that they tend to be a bit more aware and accepting of of, of, of different cultures um people from different backgrounds um country towns tend to be less so and this was one such town as i said earlier her mother was a minister of a church and when you have that kind of an influential position in such a small community um yeah well like in in again in hindsight she did like her mother did threaten me once with that but i at the time i didn't think much of it thinking this was just like pointless meaningless she said if you try to cross my daughter ever um just remember that I know people high up in the food chain. These were her words. So it's like, I didn't think much of it. Then. I was just thinking like, just this is just- Protective mom. Gender. 
yeah, like a protective mom talk. Yeah. Um, but but didn't know that what she actually meant was quite true. This is going from like police, nesthetic, uh, you know, in, on different levels of, of, of authorities in that town. So there, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I was up against. So today, that's why I'm, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's why I'm trying to fight to get him to live with me, live in a more cosmopolitan environment, which he deserves to to be closer to his heritage, to get to to, to be able to get that exposure about uh, for his um, non-white heritage. So. Well, yeah, not only that, but to be away from somebody who's possibly abusing. Yeah, exactly. That's the first thing when when I said, and now I'm after going through like jerk off lawyers so many of them and just horrible judges and just bad bureaucracy. Um, they're trying to turn around and say, oh, but it's been a while. Uh, if he seems okay now, you know, it's clearly not a matter of his safety. And I'm thinking this logic somehow never applies when a woman is, um, abused like no one goes around saying well you were abused once back then but now you seem healthy enough so yeah you should continue living with your uh, rapist husband you know no one says that right right <laughs> so why does it get uh, subjected to such hypocrisy you know it makes absolutely no sense and today you are still under a restraining order because you reported abuse and you don't know yeah. where your son is, correct? Technically, no. Yeah, I can guess where he might be, but no, no, I don't know. Because she won't and I have no way allow to you find to out. see him. Yeah. Not in a safe way, at least. So she's tried. So there are certain conditions under my restraining order that make, that can easily make me breach the order. I'll give an example. Something as simple as a child. Like when he was little, I think he's still pretty little. Um, little children can cry uh, for something really small, you know. It, it cannot, it may not, it may not even be caused by someone. They can just be like, let's say he just felt uncomfortable because, you know, to be to be honest, I'm I'm a stranger to him. He doesn't know I exist. Yeah. So if he sees me. It is natural for a child to be in, in a bit of bit of distress with a stranger, right? Um, he doesn't know the concept of a father. She's deprived him of that, so it's not his fault. But so what that can cause is she's only agreed now to this is found out through lawyers of course um she's agreed to have supervised contact and now these contact centers they are a very rare industry or profession that is not that does not have a regulatory body that oversees its operations like you know accountants have a regulatory body 
IT technicians, you name it, anyone, everyone almost has that. This somehow here does not have that. And it has been found statistically that they, they tend to uh, write the report, the supervisor who is supervising that contact session tends to write the report in favor of um, a female. And they usually are females as supervisors. supervisors. So there's, this is other, other thing about like the, this whole family domestic violence department or, or like industry that they've created is predominantly occupied by women. And yeah, I just find it disingenuous when they go around saying there are not 50% women in this uh, profession and that profession. It's like, then work for it, study for it. But when you're sort of lobbying or only hiring, deliberately hiring women in certain professions to, to tip that balance, uh, that's, that's a bit concerning to me in teaching as well, you know. Anyway, so in Australia, or are you talking in general, Australia? Australia. Uh, there, there are these instances in other countries I've learned as well. In UK, this is very much happening on very similar lines. Uh, there are certain things that are happening in US. Um, US is a bit, bit of a standout among Western countries because it does have like robust basic fundamentals um, that are sorted. But I guess like in Australia too. So it's not that the, the basic laws are disc discriminatory. It's, 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 it's the execution, the application in, in real life, in, in actual courts. Okay. Um, that's what's uh, very blatantly prejudiced. So yeah, so in that contact visits, if he could just start crying, and, and the law clearly uh, about these restraining orders, it says that, um, so the, the supervisor has to report everything, including that distress that he has faced. Now, with this restraining order in place, if the child is in distress due to, or even around, this person that is me one with the restraining order then that makes me breach the order and what that means is criminal charges and a jail time and again me being a gandhi follower i don't give a damn about going to jail he, he went to jail with glory with with pride you know for doing the yeah. right thing right but but that's without context in my context it is actually counterproductive not just for my self-preservation, which I have every right to. But even if we're just talking about the child, up until now, they, with my squeaky clean record, they made it so difficult, nearly impossible for, impossible for me to see him. Imagine if I actually had a criminal charge on me, in my, on my record. Yeah, How much no way. Difficult. Yeah. I don't want to do that to him because I'm literally the only one fighting for him and the only one apparently who is allowed to fight for him. So and I don't want to technically, though, see him under a supervision today, even though you have a restraining order. Like that's in place. Yeah, but the other concerning factor about the, and this is putting COVID aside, 
yeah. just in general, their policy is they will not allow any recording, like any CCTV camera or personal recording, and they will not allow any witnesses like other support people. So that's basically like my, that, that would leave their word against mine. And that's that's a big risk. With the police and the nurse clinic, I at least had witnesses and there were cameras there. So they, they've tried to obviously cover it up and lie, but I have evidence and witness testimonies that can prove that the cameras, uh, you know, there. But when you don't allow those kind of uh, secondary viewpoints to witness what has happened, I think that's that's a, that's a major concern, and and it just happens to be that the, the the contact centers that provide that service that could provide that service to myself and my child happen to have those policies. And again, like I found another one which does not have that policy, which does allow um, what do you call um, um, recording as well as um, they, they won't call it witnesses, but they would call them support persons. Uh, uh, or co-visitors uh, like my folks, they could come and it's just their desire too. Obviously, they'd be delighted to see him too. So it's not, they're not just there in, in the capacity of a witness, you know? Right. So there is this other contact center that allows it. It just, it's just, it, it it's operations outside the sort of area that where my son is supposed to be living at, was is known to be living at. Um, so they can't provide that service unless I guess I'll fight for it in court. If I, I okay, by by the way, the child protection services has um, not mentioned any concerns regarding me that they don't think it is at all required for me to see him with any supervision because I am not deemed as a uh, threat or a concern to the child at all. Oh, yeah. So is that a little bit of hope. Well, that's the argument which we can make in the court, but the court has its own, you know, prejudices. But that's uh, like I don't need supervision. Um, right. It's just her making it more difficult, dragging it out, and things like that. It's just it's a petty, hurtful thing she's trying to do um, to deprive this access more. And I don't need supervision, but. Even if we do, I, I, I can ask the court to, if, if it's required, like my, my mother, who is a, um, a retired childcare professional, so um, she's very well equipped to do the supervision, if you want to call it that. And if you want, uh, have to have like a professional, quote unquote professional, I don't think this stupid profession requires any skills or anything. It's just, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, I can just say that, yes, there is this contact center out in this other town. Um, you're the court. You can order anyone to do anything. Why don't you order this contact center to um, allow this through them? And, the, and is this something that's that could... Resort. That's, that's, that's the last resort. Ah. I do not agree with being supervised to see my own child. Of course Especially not. when I demonstrated anything, uh, any harm, even even her she has not even mentioned in her application for the restraining order anything about me being um, um me having done or having said anything hurtful toward the child even she has not claimed that you see what i mean so there's this level of um the sickness of this individual but when the system is actually amplifying 
the sickness of one individual by enabling it, by aiding and abetting it. So that's what I mean. Like even You're though she did not, child, like, so I don't have, I don't care if she has a restraining order on me. I'd never want to see her face in my life again. But I have the concern about my child being on the restraining order. That's the concern, right. which is the strategy. Right. Uh, it's so much. It's just so much. Like, how do you even wrap your brain around like the mm. absurdity of it? I mean, it's not just a lot that, of the abuse that happened and it's continuing to happen. It's just the absurdity around trying to find solutions. And I just want to, I just want to perhaps end this by saying this, something dark and something hopeful. Um, the sad thing is many, 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 many fathers take their own lives um, every day all around the world to, due to this kind of treatment, um, like false allegations and um, deprivation from the child, parental alienation, poisoning the child against the father. They, they, they go through this every single day and so many fathers, have, they take their lives. Uh, um, I don't want that to happen to any, 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 any child or father. And I, yeah, just uh, I urge, I have never fortunately had such thoughts. I felt inadequate. I felt, you know, just as a, as, as an, on an instinctive level, as a father, you know, being, having that protective instinct, I felt I failed him, not because of lack of myself trying, but just, just, so I'm not like in that sense, I'm not thinking rationally, like logically, it's, it's an emotion that whatever, the, the, she's so bad and system is so bad, but it is my duty to protect him and I'm failing. And that's the feeling I'm not able to overcome. Oh. I think a lot of fathers I, I take their lives because of that. Um, they, they, it just becomes too much. It just becomes too overwhelming. Uh, the, the, the lack of access. The, there, there's so many who haven't talked to their kids for decades because like while they're kids, they get poisoned so much that well into their adult life, they still harbor those brainwashed ideas, you know? Right, those um, stories that they've been told and then continue to tell themselves to make and, sense of it all. And to be honest, that's, my ex-partner is actually just that. She's herself a victim of parental alienation. Her mother had poisoned her against her father. But again, like I, I think I could have sympathy for, for such a person up until a certain age. Um, I, actually, I can have it beyond a certain age, but not when they start perpetuating that same process of, um, I it, it think it's called intergenerational um, transmission of child maltreatment. 
Um, I think that's what it's called. So it's been going on through three generations in their family at least. So, well, and that could I, be another I, whole uh, podcast episode talking about generational traumas and mm. how they get passed on through generations and how different people respond. Because not everybody responds like the woman. No, no. Child. So, so many would want to stop that cycle themselves okay. like okay this stops with me this was awful um, to go through yeah and some somehow perpetuate that yeah um i for one wants wants this to stop at 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 my son yeah i don't want this i mean yes she has another sister and who has two kids and i can't i I love those two boys, but I can't, unfortunately, do anything for them. Um, if their parents are going to continue to cycle for them, I feel bad for them, but I, I can't, unfortunately, do anything for them. Um, and I'm sorry, I can't, because they're children. I love them, and like, I, like any child, um, more than any child they were dear to me and this, again this is not their fault no it's not their fault at all so and you I, kind of I think, can only... and you kind of think in every little you know even though it's not directly with them like this kind of i mean major steps you're taking because you're having to do things that either other people haven't done or they haven't gotten the results that are needed, you know, this will yeah, hopefully start to help. Men and fathers get destroyed in many different ways. So it's, it doesn't stop at um, so the separation of, of, with, from your ex, you know, it, it continues with its children involved, especially um, through financial abuse. Um, and then guys would go through loss of so much income and then deterioration of health, physical and mental. And yeah, they, even, even when they have so much support in, in the form of loving family and friends, there are dark moments when they feel completely alone. There, there are those moments. It is important to remind if we are in that situation, it is important to remind ourselves that that's that's a passing moment. Acknowledge that for what it is, sure, but don't over um, rate it. I think that's a great advice to send out there, especially from somebody who's been in the positions positions that you've been in. Right, you've seen that dark and gone, okay, I have to sit with it, but I'm not going to dwell in it. I'm going to yeah. move forward. But, well, I'm so sorry you have gone through all of this. I, I hope that, and I feel like there's got to be some, something that'll change it that in your favor and your son's favor but I appreciate you sharing your story and hopes to help other people and, you know, maybe get you that 
find that final step or person to go, hey, I know, I know the correct steps to take to get past this crazy mm. scenario. Yeah. So that's my hope. But but thank you so much. And maybe we'll have you on again next time as you are reunited with yourself. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you Wow. I could not imagine having gone through what John has gone through and is still continuing to go through in the struggle to get his son back in his custody. And this is also, as it says in the title, a generational curse coming in as he had spoke of from the woman that birthed his child lineage because it happened to his father, father-in-law, ex-father-in-law. A gray contract, which means gray contracts again. One person has the upper hand, right? She had the upper hand. She abused She's still continuing to manipulate. The binding comes in because there's a child involved. And the binding is to really try to keep in place the connection, right? And then the vow happened, right? Taking the sacred, if you would like to think of it as that, I do. I think it's pretty sacred to come together with another human in our human form and say, I love you. I want to spend my life with you. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to do and to have someone come and take it and use it in such a manipulative and malevolent manipulation. I mean, there's nothing kind around it on any part of it. And to go to the lengths that this, this woman did. And then the compassionate connection, right? The compassionate connection is... Somebody is getting more from another person than they should be getting from higher realm, God source, however you want to call that. They're getting that power, that strength, that basically inner strength from another person. And when the compassionate connection comes in, usually the other person is kind, is loving, is coming from a true space of non-manipulation if this can happen without but this is happening in this one and again these elements that are coming that have come through are ways we find each other to have continued human experiences with each other and more oftentimes than not they're things that we would not want to experience or have anybody else experience. In sharing such an intense story, 
if this can impact one, just even one person to get out of a bad situation, that's why we're sharing this. That's why John was so gracious in wanting and in being okay on coming onto this podcast to share his story. If you are suffering from domestic abuse, I have added some information in the show notes that you can access. And there's also a support group for men that have gone, that are, are going through this, have gone or and are going through this in Australia. So I'll link that also. I appreciate you tuning in today. And please know, friends, that you're not alone, that there is help out there. And the more we share our stories, especially these really, really hard experiences that we have gone through and have endured, it's to open up so that it's not something hush-hush or not something so unbelievable that nobody wants to support you in your most dire of times, man or woman. So continue to peel back the layers of your being. All parts are amazing. Every layer is so valid and so important to your story. And continue to ask yourselves and each other, may I have this dance?